if you have your Bibles, open them to uh, the book of Romans. We're going to continue our study. My intention is to stay in the book of Romans for the rest of 2022. I thought I would do, uh, we'll probably break it up in a couple of uh, uh, seasons, but we're going to stay in this book. And one of the reasons that I feel convicted that we need to stay in the book is the ignorance that is being displayed by Christians uh, in the West who have been around the Bible all of their lives, and yet there's nothing quite like it today where people just, they don't know what their Bible says, they don't understand it, they're not sure what's going on, they believe anything. We could come out and say the moon is made of cheese, and if you say it in church, and the pastor's got, uh, uh, you know, if he's a good stand-up comic, and he can uh, give a good TED Talk, and if the band is uh, Colts play, then, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're good. Yeah, the moon is made of cheese, and people will believe it. And so our desire is that you know the truth, that you know the truth about what the Bible says. Whether you believe it or not, it's up to you but that you at least hear the truth of the gospel. What is this gospel that Jesus has proclaimed to us and that his apostles were good enough uh, to write and explain and share to us? So you'll get a clear presentation of the gospel here in the next few months uh, as we look at Romans. It's printed in your bulletin. I printed it actually in the New Living Translation. And uh, it, this is, is a paraphrase, and it's really a, a cool translation to do just plain reading. So uh, hear the word of God. I'll just be reading up to, I think, uh, verse 25. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they would not worship him as God, or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You know, the last thing that any pastor wants to preach about is wrath. Because it is a, it's a repugnant idea to think that God himself, this almighty God, who we claim is a God of love and grace and mercy, that he would have something as horrible uh, as wrath. And so we are, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the bullet and go ahead and teach you a little bit about the wrath of God. 
Is it uh, even reasonable for a loving and kind and merciful God to uh, be wrathful? What is his wrath? What is his wrath? Is it deserved? And what is God's answer to his wrath? We talked a little bit about this last week. Paul starts his gospel in the book of Romans, his explanation and saying that God is gracious, he's merciful, he's good, he loves, he's appointed me, I'm coming to tell you, I want the people in Rome to hear this good news, this gospel, that the long-awaited king of all creation has finally come to earth, and in him, he will set everything right, he will make it possible, in himself, Jesus Christ will make it possible for, for humankind to have a right relationship with God. He will restore what was lost in the garden. And not merely restore it, but make it infinitely better. Beyond anything we could imagine. He leads with that. He presents that good news to human beings. And then he has to step back for a moment and he has to tell us why. Why that's even necessary. What has happened? And Paul goes on and answers questions that everyone in this room has. Questions about the nature of our planet, our world. Why are people the way they are? Why are they so mean and malicious and cruel to one another? Why is there suffering and evil? All of those questions Paul does not shrink back from. He goes straight at it. Now, he doesn't answer every question to its bottom to where you have no more questions. You're always going to have questions because you human, he God. Right? You human, he God. And if he's got anything like we imagine he is, he's way bigger than what can fit in your head. So you're going to have to accept a certain amount of mystery. But I'll tell you what. God has given us sufficient understanding and sufficient knowledge that we can come into his presence and know who he is and what he's like. And he does that through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul starts out in the book of Romans, and if you look, if you have a study Bible and you look, there's outlines and stuff, and I'm going to give you my outlines, and you, you, it, look, outlines are, the book of Romans is notoriously hard to outline. I have not found two scholars that agree on how it's supposed to, to be outlined, so we're just going to ignore all the scholarship, and you're going to have to believe me. You know I'm kidding. But what I'm doing is I'm going to coalesce some of it and just give it to you. And, you know, but it, it may not be absolutely precise, but here's a good rundown of what Paul is doing. In chapter 1, especially in these 14 verses, 18 through 32, Paul is telling us the history of redemption. He's explaining about what happened to mankind in the long past. Whatever you want to believe about the creation in the Garden of Eden, if you know anything at all, the Garden of Eden was a small place with two people in it. The rest of the world was chaotic. It was tohu vabohu. It was formless and void. It was unmanageable. And the commission to the man and the woman was be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They were supposed to leave the Garden of Eden and spread the gospel to the world. 
The good news about God who planted a tree of life and gave us life, and they were to move out into that world and bring order to the chaos, to the formless, to the void. And that's what he's addressing. He's telling you, here's, here's humanity, all of humanity, and here's what humanity did to invoke the wrath of God. Then in chapter, that's 18 through 32, in chapter 2, all of chapter 2, in the first few verses of chapter 3, he, addre- he addresses humanity then, in those first 14 verses, but now in the chapter 2 that we'll look at in a week or so, he's talking about the, the humankind as they were uh, seen and experienced in the people of Israel, and what they did to make God mad. So humanity in general, see big picture, 30,000 feet, humanity in general, this is what made him mad in the beginning. Here's how Israel ticked him off. And then Paul comes back in chapters 3 and he goes all through chapter 3. In fact, some scholars say he doesn't even talk about the gospel again until chapter 5, which is true. Uh, But chapter 4 is interesting because it's all about Abraham, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But So basically, 1 through 18, he's talking about what happened then. Then, in chapter 2, in a few verses of 3, he talks about Israel and what they did to make God mad. And then he talks about now in these other chapters. And he concludes in chapters 3, many of you know the famous verse, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. So now he's wrapping all humanity into one package and saying, here's what we have done to make God mad. Now like I told you last week, what is God's wrath? Well, the word is orge, and it comes from the word we use as orgy. And it, it, it's not the sexual thing that immediately comes to our mind, but rather it's the fiery passion that the word conveys. God's not a little miffed. He's not a little upset. It's not that, you know, we knocked over the tithe box in the back because we innocently ran by. That's not why he's mad. And he's even mad, as he mad at you? Does he have wrath towards you in particular? Because you are so horrible of a person. Probably not quite like that. Because you think too much of yourself. If you think that he's really that mad at you. Now he may be. There's probably some in this room. He's not at me. <laughs> Definitely not at Dawson. But we do occasionally look at some of you with suspicion. <laughs> no. Actually, he's, he, again, look, we're up here. We're at, we're at 30,000 feet and he's saying humanity has done something. And so I'm going to break it down for you. I didn't, wasn't able to do it last week because I was just trying to talk to you from my heart. But this week I've got some notes and they're, they're killer. People would pay for these notes. What is God's wrath? Is it deserved? Is it justified? And what is God's answer to this wrath? People will say, and you've probably heard this, you may even have said this, why did God make a world like this? Why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why do children get leukemia and die? Why do pastors get mistreated by their congregations? Why? 
Why, you know, why all these horrible things? Why suffering? Why dementia? Why uh, cancer? Why, the, why? Why did God make the world like this? That is the most presumptuous thing. A little tiny human being that's this big. In fact, he's smaller than that. Could say to the God of the universe, you know something, I'm going to just make it plain. He did not create the world the way it is we did. We made it this way. God's not down here killing people and giving them cancer and doing all this other stuff. No, no, no. You might say, well, but you claim He's sovereign. Yeah, that's a whole other question. But you want to look outside these doors and, out, and across the border into Juarez or, or further into Syria and the Middle East and you want to look further into Asia and China and you want to go to the ends of the earth. You want to know why it's the way it is because we made it that way. For thousands of years, people have been tearing each other apart. You don't see this anywhere else in creation. You do not see the animal world, the predation that we see in the animal world that bothers us to see a lion eat a little gazelle or whatever. That, that bothers us because we know that death is bad. But that isn't a sin. For an, a lion to eat a, a gazelle is not a sin. In fact, for a lion to eat you is not a sin. But you try to eat somebody and see what happens. Why is he angry? For two reasons. Look very carefully at the passages. It's just just amazing. Verse 18. God's wrath is revealed against sinful. In the ESV, if you have your Bible with you, it's ungodliness and unrighteousness or wickedness as it is in the NLT, which is in your bulletin, or the ESV, which is in perhaps some of your Bibles, the sinfulness and the wickedness of people. He's mad at people who do two things. They suppress the truth. They push it down. That's katakane in the verse. It's in Greek, katakane. They push it down, and with all their might, they're holding it down. And with all of their strength, how they're doing that, I don't know, but they're pushing it down, and they're reaching out. This is what we do. And we suppress the truth, and we replace it with all our might, with a lie. Now that is a description of Genesis chapter 3 and the whole story of the serpent. Suppress the truth about what God said. Don't eat from the tree. Don't, you know, trust me. Trust me. That's all he was telling those two people, those knuckleheads in the garden. And us knuckleheads today. Trust me. Don't eat from that tree. And no, no, no. We're going to suppress that truth with all our might, which is what they did and what we do. And we replace it with something else. This is called idolatry, the replacement of of God uh, with something else. These two words, sinful and wicked, are fascinating in Greek. The word sinful or ungodliness conveys the idea uh, of, of our attitude and our treatment of God himself. Sinful and ungodly. The second word, wickedness or unrighteousness of people is towards other people. You see? 
So we have done two things. And again, I'm not talking about you in particular. I'm saying humanity. This is the the judicial case that God has against humankind. No matter what race, creed, color, doesn't matter who you are. If you're a human being, our attitude towards God has been horrifically bad. And the way we treat other people, horrifically bad. Those two things are why he's angry. And he talks about the attitude, and we're going to look at this in a moment, it, his, our attitude and treatment of God. I'm just going to focus on that today. Then next week, we'll look at verses uh, 24 through 32, where he talks about our treatment of one another. And he begins with the damage that we have done to his image through the way we mistreat our bodies. And when he says body, he's not talking about eating too much sugar or, you know, having 16 donuts for breakfast. He's talking about how we destroy, attack, dissemble, break down other human beings. How do we do that? And the list is long and it is horrific and convicting. And troubling. It's so a probably won't come back next week, but I hope you will, because it will help you uh, understand who we are and what Jesus has called us to be instead, and what He did uh, to remedy this. Does God have wrath? Yes, He does. And is He mad? Oh my goodness! Orge, hot, white hot. Burning anger. Listen to this quote. I I borrowed this from Tim Keller, but it's actually in uh, Becky Pippert's book. uh, uh, Let's see. Hope Has Its Reasons. We have some of her books over here in our our little bookshelf, by the way. She's a great author. Here's what she says. Listen to this. We tend to be taken aback by the thought that God could be angry. How can a deity who is so perfect and loving ever be angry? We take pride in our tolerance of the excesses of others. So what's God's problem? But love detests what destroys the beloved. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. Nearly a century ago, theologian E.H. Gifford wrote, Human's love, Human love here offers a true analogy. The more, listen, every one of you can understand this is so simple. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, The traitor. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final form of hatred is indifference. How many of you have heard somebody say, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. What you've just done is commit murder against that person. Yeah, but they deserve. Don't tell me about deserve. Are we crazy? Are we crazy? 
I don't deserve that. I'm a blah, blah, blah. And then out comes all the blah, blah, blah. And it means nothing. In fact, it only serves to make God turn up His wrath, if that's even possible, a little bit more. So don't do that. Well, they deserve this and they deserve that. You know what? You don't know what anybody deserves. You don't even know what you deserve. I don't even know what I deserve. But I know one thing. It wasn't a man on a cross. That I did not deserve. That I can't get my head around that. I can understand some of the anger. I can understand the wrath because I'm a father. And if somebody had hurt my children, you see, if it's true for God, no wrath, we want a God without wrath, then you've got to accept a God with no love. A God that doesn't have any love or any care for justice or what's right. And if somebody breaks in your house and tortures your child right there in front of you just for fun, which is what they do sometimes, and you're, it's okay for you to be wrathful and want revenge, but not them, not Him, not the divine God whose love is perfect, do you think that anybody in all of creation and all of human history is going to be treated unfairly by this God? Do you think anybody is going to be in hell, whatever hell is? Do you think anybody's going to be in there because they just messed up a little or they just kind of, they didn't know or something happened or God, you know, God is so harsh and so cruel? That is not what Christianity says. It has never said that. We say that because we want to make ourselves feel good. Look how good we are. We accepted Jesus. We go to church. We give money. We help. We serve. We do all this and we do all that and we sing our praises. But look how we treat God. Look how we treat others. Our attitude towards the treatment of God starts in verse 19. I'm going to go through this quickly there's really you can break this down a number of ways what i've done is i've broken it down into four the the fourth one being a a compilation or a compression of the first three so i i hope i've made the case god is wrathful because he is exceedingly loving you see the the, the wrath is commensurate with his love he's white hot angry but my friends, listen, he is white, hot, furious, jealous, in love with you. To the point where he would do anything for you. F- to the point where he would do the unthinkable for you. I have two sons. And I love my sons. And I wouldn't give one of my sons for any of you. I wouldn't give one of my sons for this whole room. That's how much I love you. I wouldn't give one of my sons for the whole of El Paso. I would just say adios. And here we have the audacity to speak ill of God Almighty who demonstrated, we're going to look at this in a few chapters, demonstrated His love in this That while we were yet sinners on our worst day, when you really should have gotten all the wrath of the universe poured out on you, on that day, 
He demonstrated his love and he gave his son for the ungodly, for the wicked, for the unrighteous, for people that treat him bad and treat others bad. Do you see what the basis is for Jesus when he says to you, forgive? Even as you've been forgiven, he's not asking you to take anything out of your bank account to forgive somebody else. It costs you nothing to forgive another person for the worst crime you can imagine. It costs you zero. Because he deposited into your bank account an infinite amount of love and forgiveness and a future and a hope that we can't even imagine. And so when he tells us, forgive the evildoer, pray for you, and bless those that persecute you, he's saying, go to my bank account, take that out, and then go do what I told you, and trust me, and quit whining. Now we're talking. Now you're talking Christianity and not some other crazy religion. You're talking the real deal. Forgive. As we've been forgiven. I go, Where does that end? Nowhere. You can't find the bottom to that. So you get out there and you love the world. The early church knew this. We, we've lost that. God, help us to regain that. And I, I don't know what happens outside these walls. You know, I, I lay low during the week. I hide out where people can't find me. Like Starbucks and places like that. I hide. I hide. I don't know what goes on out there, but I know what goes on in here. And folks, let's, let's tell God, you know what? I want to be different. I want to be different. I want to be like Jesus for once. Before I die, I want to really actually be like him. Because he deserves it. Is anyone worthy? <laughs> How do we dare sing that if we don't believe it? Is anyone holy? Is anyone righteous? Anybody? Yes, he is. That's got to capture you at a level to where you would give your very life for that and not, not even a hesitation. Are we there? No. Is your illustrious pastor there? No. But every fiber in my being wants to be that person wants to glorify my Savior that way. Everything in me wants to, but I'm still trapped in this, this well, it's a gorgeous body, but... I, <laughs> All right. So here's, here's the four things, the third, fourth one being a, a, comp- a compilation of the other three. Look at verse... Uh, um, now let me see, I lost them. Oh, here they are. Don't ever use an iPad or a a computer. Our attitude and treatment for God. Suppress the truth, exchange it for a lie. This is the great sin of humanity. Say, what was Adam and Eve's sin? That's it. It's not pride. It's not, you know, all these other things that people have tried to think up. It's suppressing the truth and exchanging it for a lie. This is what Paul says and really what the rest of the Bible says. So look at uh, verse 19 and 20. They know... Because God made it known. So these four things. We know something. We refuse it. We lose our minds. And then we suppress and exchange the truth 
uh, for, for the, the lie for the truth. So we know, verse 19 and 20, we, they knew because God made it known. He made it obvious and clear. We talked a little bit about this last week in just creation. There isn't a human being in the world from the time that people crawled out from underneath rocks or out of caves or whatever and looked up at the sky, they thought, wow, there's got to be something out there. And so people started worshiping things, stuff, stuff out there. Because we know, we don't know everything, we don't know enough even to be saved, but we know enough that there is a creator God, God, gods, he, she, it, them, you, you know, we don't need to get into all that. Whatever that is, that made, there's something made this, and whatever that is, or he, she, it, them, whatever it is, got to be really powerful and much bigger than us, and so he deserves some thanks, he, she, it. They deserve some thanks and some worship. And human beings have been doing that since we have, since they scratched stuff out on the walls of caves. Come on. We know. We have seen God, his invisible qualities, not talking about all the the attributes of God that you read in Burkhoff or uh, or Robert Raymond's systematic theology. It's not that. It's just what I described to you, this immensity, this, you know, it's, it's it's not even reasonable not to think that something created this universe, that there was design, that there was a telos, a design for the world. People have known this. And so people have not gotten dumb people have not gotten smarter about God. We've gotten dumber. They knew more than we did back in the prehistoric ages. They knew enough to build a shrine and give him thanks or maybe they didn't. They would go out and they would say, "Well, you know, that animal looks we'll worship the animal. We'll worship the moon, we'll worship the sun, we'll worship the stars, we'll worship something." And that's where we know that's not we know that the moon can't do anything except go round and round. Dean Martin had it right. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. What? That's amore. He was a good theologian, that Dean Martin, let me tell you. We know the truth. Even now, even in God's created broken condition, you can't find a real truly atheist. Most people are agnostics. R.C. said in all of the ages there have been atheists and agnostics, but it's not uh, atheists are like 2%. There's a difference between attitude between the atheist and the agnostic. The atheist comes right out and says there's no God, but the agnostic says simply, I don't know. Insufficient knowledge. And R.C. goes on to say, the dreadful fear that I have is that the agnostic adds insult to injury. He blames God for not giving us enough information. Heavenly days. There's not enough information. No excuse. That's going to be God's answer. You didn't give me enough information. No excuse. You had enough information. You suppressed and you exchanged. Number two, we refuse. This word refuse, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him. This is not kind of like, I'm not sure, you know, a little bit, you know, you're not really sure, you're not completely convinced. 
It's not that. It is wanton. It's bratty. It's shaking. The, it's with what, what the old people used to say. Uh, Dave will remember this phrase, with a high hand. Right? They sin with a high hand, with impunity. They know and they're still, like if any of you, I'm sure that none of your children are like this when they just stiffen and they say no. Right? I'm sure only my two boys were that way, but uh, they still do it, by the way, and they're, one, one of them's 40 years old, God help me. It's a refusal, a wanton, high hand, fist in the air. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to define what's sin. I'm going to define what's right and wrong. I'm going to create a God in my own image. And I'll do it all the time while I'm in church sitting in the pew. If the pastor says something I don't like, eh, I'll just change God around and make him non-wrathful. Unless somebody does something to me, and then I have every right to be angry. Are you hearing that? I mean, is that not us? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm leaving. I'm done. No, you know this is true. We want to be magnanimous towards everybody, everybody. Oh, we should treat everybody great until they break into your house and steal your stuff. Then you want justice. And what's true of humans is also true of God. We refuse, wantonly refuse to listen to any truth about Him if it doesn't accord with us. If we like it, we'll take it. If we don't like it, it's like going to the cafeteria. I'll have a little bit of grace. I'll have a little bit of mercy. I want a lot of love and I want lots of money and I want to live in health and I want my kids to be better. And I want, I want, I want, I want. But then you get to the spinach and you go, eh, I don't think I'll have that. And it's right there that you may find the truth about God in that green stuff. Because that's just as nutritious as anything else and you need it all to understand who He really is. You cannot understand the cross of Jesus. You can't even begin to understand it unless you understand wrath. Love, we're all happy with that. Wrath, you don't get it. That did not deserve anything but wrath. To pin your own son to a cross is wrath. If it wasn't wrath, he could have just sent Jesus like, uh, like any other great prophet, any other great teacher, and said, you know, let's all be nice, let's hold hands, let's sing kumbaya, and, and everything will be fine if you'll just be nice to each other. That would have done it good. But folks, if you have a problem with Christianity, you've got to get past him. This is a Protestant cross, by the way, which... I'm a Protestant, but I'm kind of sad that there isn't a bloody body up there. If you come to my house, I have crucifix in my house because I want to see that. We don't do it in our Protestant world, but that's another thing. The point is, that is a reflection not just of God's love, oh yes it is, but it's also a reflection of His wrath because it was him who drank the cup of wrath. 
we lose our minds. This is in, in verses 21 and, and, and through 23. Instead, we began thinking up foolish ideas of what God is like, and the result is our mind is darkened, it's confused, it's what we call, uh, I think in the spiritual dynamics class, we call it delusional, uh, delusional fields and distorted thinking. You know, when you're, when you're at the cusp of committing a sin, you know you're about to sin. And you're looking at it and you're going, oh man, should I have that other chocolate chip cookie? Maybe not. But I don't know, look at how good it is. I can smell it and there's cold milk in the refrigerator. Ah, you know. Does something make you do it? No, you know your mind is darkened. It's delusional. Now I'm using a, a silly illustration, but you know what I'm talking about. We convince ourselves it's okay. It's okay. My God, God's loving. Chuck tells us God's loving all the time. Yeah, he's loving, all right. But at what cost? Him. He paid. We lose our minds, dark, confused. We claim to be wise, but we really are fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, we worship idols made to look like people. Birds and animals and reptiles, God help us. And then for we suppress the truth, cut a cane, we push it down with all our might, and we exchange metalasso, we exchange it, we trade it in for a lie. To worship and serve created things, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Paul got to this point in these few verses and his heart was so filled with, what can we call it, this awe, this awe of God, both His love and His wrath. He's so filled with what he's saying in these few verses that he breaks out into a magnificent doxology right in the middle of this horrific information. He cannot contain himself because he knows what he's going to say in the rest of the book of Romans has to do with this very thing. They want to serve the creation, but not the creator who's who's blessed forever. You see, it drove him to his knees. Idolatry is not the result of a primitive mind. It's not cavemen coming out and scribbling on walls. It's People on Wall Street, it's us when we look at our money. It's us when we look at our health. It's us when we get angry. Let me finish with this. David Pollison wrote a great article. I've referenced it many times. Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair. You can find it online. If you don't uh, find it, let me know. I'll print it out for you. And David Pollison Ask the question, how do you identify your idols? And here's a list that he gave, which there's more, but I'm going to just give you a few. What makes you angry? What do you really get fired up about? And you're really mad. That's an idol. Well, don't I have a right to be mad? No, you don't. Welcome to the world of Jesus Christ. No, you don't have a right to be mad. You have a right to be mad at what I'm mad at. Are you willing to do that? Then I'll let you be mad. Oh, dear God. 
He just swept our menu clean. Now I'm talking to myself too, folks. I know, listen, I know, I do, I live this. And it's agonizing, isn't it, Dawson? Don't you hate it? I hate being a Christian. I'd rather be anything else. That would be easy. This is not easy. What makes you angry? What makes you jealous? What makes you envious? At what do you express contempt and indifference? I'm done with this. I'm done with that. There's an idol there. What triggers depression and stress? I'm not talking about medical, clinical depression or stuff. I'm talking about just the blues. You know, oh, God, I didn't get my way. Or they're all out of that. They're all out of my favorite coffee at Starbucks. I'm going to have to drink something else. And we whine and we cry. Well, you know, what is that? Unbelievable what human beings are capable. It's not just Americans. Everybody does this. In France, they just say it in French. Who or what are you criticizing? Listen to, how do we, when we're looking at the TV and we're talking to the TV, you know what I criticized the other day? Jimmy John's. Remember those sandwiches you got? How dare they send us sandwiches like that, right? One tiny slice of meat that you could read a newspaper through and a little tiny slice of cheese that you could read a newspaper through and then this much lettuce. And it was only $10 a sandwich, right? Something like that. Jimmy John's. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what, what do you mock? <laughs> I just mocked Jimmy John's. You see how it works, folks? It's awful. What do you mock? What are you cynical about? What are you sarcastic about? There's idols, idols, idols everywhere. How do you react when you don't get your own way? Look, folks, we could go on and on. We don't have time. I've gone over right now. Well, here, let me just tell you this quickly. We'll pick it up next week. I hope you all come back next week. You're going to have a good time. Next week's even better. It's getting better. Instead of suppressing the truth about God, and it, instead of suppressing the truth about God and reaching out there to grab something else, whatever it is, and pull it over there to give you meaning and to give you significance and to make your life worth living and all of this, instead of doing that, what would happen if you suppressed the, the blankety-blank lies of the serpent, suppress his lies, and exchange it for the truth of the gospel? What would happen if we did that? What if we quit listening to the lies that are on TV and social media and everywhere else just for a day? Suppress those and replace it with the book of Romans. What do you think would happen to the church in the United States? Instead of it dwindling, people would be lining up outside to come and eat, taste and see the Lord as good as mercy endures forever. Can you imagine what would happen? The reason that Christianity is not impressing anybody is because we're not living it. That's hard to hear. I'm not living it either. I'm not saying just about you, although it's certainly true of you. No. Folks, listen. We've got to get serious about our Savior. We would become people, people would look at you and they'd go, what is the hope that you have in you? What is the reason for this hope that you have in you? 
what is the reason for the hope that you have in me? Jesus drank the cup of wrath so we could drink the cup of blessing. Let me leave you with one last quote from perhaps one of the greatest sermons ever preached by the great Thomas Chalmers, Puritan. The love of God and the love of the world are two affections, not merely in a state of rivalship, but in a state of enmity. They're at war with one another. And so irreconcilable are they. Love for the world and love for God. There's such enmity that it can There's no way to reconcile those two. You cannot put them together. It's impossible. They cannot dwell together in the same bosom, in the same heart. The only way to dispossess that heart that is inclined to evil, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old idol is with the expulsive power, listen, of a new affection. You can't just pull the weeds out of your garden. You're going to have to plant something good in there. This, the gospel of Jesus, put that in your heart and stuff it in. How... If it takes you hours, a day it will be where it doesn't matter how much. It's shocking how a few minutes a day people spend, oh, hi God, how are you? Yeah, I'll read my verse for the day and off we go. What would happen if you just spent 15 minutes instead of two? What would happen if it was 30 instead of five? What would happen if it was an hour instead of 15? What would happen to you? The expulsive power of a new affection. The lights would come on and you'd say, there you are, idol. Out you go. I love Jesus Christ more than you. Can you say amen, Ugo? Amen. All right. Will you trust Him? Will you? I pray you will. Father, how do we ever begin to thank You? My goodness, You have poured out love. We... We are curious about your wrath. That should not surprise us. How do you even begin to love us? That should surprise us. But help us, Lord. Please, only the gospel, only Jesus has that power to drive out this darkness. Give us a whole mind, a whole heart. And I pray this for our church. I don't know what's going to happen in the rest of the world, but in this room, I pray that you will transform us, Father. In Jesus, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.